Welcome to Theology for the People. I'm back today with Pastor Connor Berry. In our last episode, we talked about fasting. And I thought it went great, good discussion, covered a lot of important points. And then, Connor, you and I are in a group of friends who discuss podcast episodes on online and on an app. And so we were discussing the episode with them and they brought up a couple of really important questions that I thought we answered them well in that group. But I thought, man, how much better would it be to bring in our listening audience for the podcast into some of the nuance of the discussion? So I appreciate you coming back for another round. Yeah, Nick, thank you. Little did we know that we would spark such conversation out of the episode. And I'm really thankful for that. That's great. Me too. So here was the first question. The first question, this is one I've gotten a lot, is can you fast from things beside food? I'll just tell you my assumption with it had been that, yeah, you probably can. And sometimes people are like, I'm fasting from chocolate. I'm fasting from Netflix. Mm. I'm fasting from mm. running. And then it turns out that they weren't actually a runner to begin with. So yeah, Connor, what, what are your, some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting that we categorize fasting under sort of what we talked about in the intro as like a spiritual discipline. And, and so when we think of the word discipline, we think of what Paul talks about and disciplining my body so that I wouldn't be under the power of the authority of anything except the, uh, the sovereignty of God. And so in a way we can apply that and we can put that into the category of fasting to say, maybe for this 40 days of Lent, I'm not going to eat chocolate or I'm going to take this particular amount of time to stay off of social media or Netflix, et cetera. If we were to say that we only have scripture as our defining cause for the topic of fasting, then really scripture is only showing that fasting is having to do with the not eating of food or water for a shortened period of time. Once again, bringing that definition from Scott McKnight back up, it's that natural response uh, to God of a grievous sacred moment so that we do not want to eat as a means of hunger. And I, this is my personal perspective on this, is that I would consider setting a time aside to say, I don't want to eat chocolate or I want to put social media aside from God. That's a wonderful thing. I would consider that to be under the category of what we would say is abstinence for a moment, but it wouldn't particularly be this category of true scriptural fasting is, does that help to separate the two in a way? I think it does. And I, I was thinking about this from a scriptural perspective. And one verse that came to mind really strongly is in first Corinthians chapter seven, where, and I was looking for the, the exact verse, but I know it's in first Corinthians seven. It says that a husband and wife should mm. not, how does it say they shouldn't withhold their bodies from each other. Like basically mm. they shouldn't withhold sex from the other partner in the marriage, except mm. for a time for the purpose of prayer and fasting. And I thought that, mm. that was really interesting because it's not speaking about sex as, or abstaining from sex as a form of fasting, rather it's mm. speaking about it as distinct from fasting and also something that is sometimes good mm. it would be appropriate to do that for a time if there was a purpose behind it and yet it, it's not called fasting from sexual intercourse it's called abstaining from it for a purpose so that you can then fast mm. and pray yeah absolutely and again once again this kind of comes back to our 
I believe it's our Mark chapter 9, verse 29, where this demon only comes out from prayer and fasting. Once again, those two words and fasting is an additional, is an addition from scholars, but at a later time, that's not necessarily in the original manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark or in the original manuscripts of First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. So I, I agree with you. It's distinct from the discipline or act of fasting. But it has great application for our desire to, for holiness and intimacy with God, for the example of not having sex with your spouse for a certain amount of time in order to devote yourselves. to. So devotion to prayer is wonderful. It, it can be that same sort of desire for hunger, but it's not that whole body movement that, that we discover, that whole hunger of God that's found in fasting. If you continue with that, that same scripture in 1 Corinthians, it's, but only do this for a time because we don't want to allow a foothold from Satan. And I agree with that also in the point of fasting too. All throughout church history, there's been ascetics, those people that have devoted their lives to asceticism in order to find transcendence with God or holiness with God. And the act itself becomes the identity of the person rather than Christ himself. You know what I mean? So, and so they become this transcendent being, this almost taking upon sainthood because they have given themselves over to either celibacy or they've given themselves over to not eating at all or, or maybe a morsel of bread or water for once a month or something to that effect. And people become in awe and they assume the holiness of the person based upon the act. But that becomes the identity and not Christ Christ himself. And so there's a danger to this where we can overdo it for sure. Yeah. So do you think there's something unique about food? that makes it, there's a spiritual discipline specifically related to food. Do you think that there's a reason for that in the uh, essence of what food is? Yeah, absolutely. Because this, the experience of food and the enjoyment of feasting is something that we've enjoyed even before when we think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the Lord said like this whole place is for you and for your pleasure and for your enjoyment. It's not just for nourishment, but it's also for taste. And food plays an essential role, not only in our vitality and our nourishment, but in our pleasure with God. We even taking the, the two elements of communion, we're using effectually food given by God as, a, as even a, a means of worship and thankfulness to him. So yeah, food holds a huge weight and that's why it holds a particular weight concerning fasting and very special. And, and, and it's essential to our survival also for our nourishment. Some people would say sex is essential to their survival too, but, but more particularly down to, to, to base bones, it is truly food that is this, this vitality that we get out of it. Yeah, and I would say that it also comes to this idea of, think about this, with abstinence, what you're saying is, I have an improper relationship with this thing that I'm doing. And so you're saying, mm-hmm. I need to essentially abstain from it, maybe for the purpose of breaking its, breaking the habit, right, the control that this habit has over me. Whereas with food, mm-hmm. I mean, just the, pro- the practice of eating food certainly can go to that extent, and that's what we call gluttony. But in general, it's also possible to just eat food and have a healthy relationship with food. And that's, I think, just the regularity of it, the fact that it is so necessary for our existence. I think that is what's unique about this. So I guess what we're saying, and you tell me if you agree with this summary, would be to say, hey, there are times when it would be right and good and advisable 
for you to abstain from something, if you feel like maybe it's gotten its claws into your heart, so to say, or you just want to abstain from that thing for the purpose, similar with fasting, of seeking the Lord, having some extra time and a dedicated thing where you're seeking the Lord. But don't call that fasting. Call it abstinence or, or abstaining, and then let fasting be fasting, in other words. Yeah, I completely agree. And even in our previous episode, we looked at church history of different motives behind fasting, and one was in order to individually fight against temptation. Like Augustine said, it's good to, to move into fasting as a means of a hunger for God that would be sovereign above the hunger for some of these temptations in my own life. Should you abstain from social media if it becomes an addiction? Absolutely. But I would even be as bold to say you could participate that along with, in your abstinence, along with a shortened amount of time of fasting to say, okay, I'm abstaining against the temptation and I'm fasting for more of a hunger for God in the midst of this also. But doing food and abstaining from social media at the same time, if you can do that. Yeah. So. Okay, question that, number two. Here's what it is. Yeah. What about people with eating disorders? Now, I think that's a really good question. If somebody has an unhealthy relationship with food or to the point of it actually being uh, a problem where they have a disorder, should they participate in fasting? Or are they just sorry you can't participate in this spiritual discipline and in the graces that might come through it? What if your church is doing an all-church fast? What are your thoughts on that, Connor? Yeah, this, of course, is a very serious topic. And I would be honest to probably say it's happening more behind the curtain in our own churches than we realize, whether it's anorexia nervosa, whether it's bulimia, any kinds of these acts, because of the fact that it's often, so often hidden in secrecy by the person that is dealing with it. And also that it's so connected with a feeling of shame concerning body image or who they are, or it even becomes a desire of inspiration of looking at people that have had anorexia in the past or, or look upon body image online or something to that effect and say, that's what I actually want. And so I'm going to move into a an activity of anorexia nervosa or bulimia. It is definitely a heavy subject that is applicable to this because we're talking about food. So what I would suggest in that manner is, is as from a corporate church position, I think we should always have at least a healthy relationship between congregation and pastor and the understanding of what the Imago Dei is, about what it means to be created in the image of God. And a defense against anorexia and bulimia is that push against shame to declare that when God created Adam and Eve, he said that it was good and their bodies were good. And therefore, our bodies created in the image of God are good. And and there's uh, God sees us as his beautiful creation with so much value. And if someone were to come into my office after a time or call of corporate fasting and said, hey, maybe I'm dealing with this now, or maybe I've dealt with this in the past, and I have... Uh, an apprehension about moving into an activity of fasting. Of course, I would always suggest, I would always suggest that uh, you talk to a medical professional first about, about moving into this religious activity of fasting. Talk to your medical professional specifically if you've had a history of either of these. But then also if they give you the go ahead, because of the fact that anorexia and bulimia have their foundation of shame and secrecy, 
that I would suggest saying, okay, we're going to follow the practical structure that we set up last episode of taking 25 hours. I would, I really want to prescribe a fast longer than that, at least for my congregation of sundown to sundown and move into this, not as an individual, but in an activity or participation with another person. So you are fasting along with them and it is like a 25 hour intimate participation with that person of prayer, consistent conversation about the Lord and a real opportunity for growth on both of them to say, we have this desperate hunger for God and we're willing to do this, but then also a participation of the culmination of that fast, moving into feasting and thankfulness for the grace of God and what he has provided into sundown. And so if all of that aligns right and a person says, yes, I want to do this, even though what my history is, then the grace of God's going to come in the participation together corporately. I wouldn't, I don't think I would prescribe this to a person individually completely on their own if they had a history of that. Yeah, no, that's really good and wise advice. And I think that also the incorporating the aspect of talking to a physician as well. And of course, varying histories and varying degrees and things like that. A lot of factors could come into play, but I, I like the fact that we can talk about this with some nuance and and give some real pastoral answers. So I appreciate your heart with that, Connor, and, and thanks for being on again. Yeah, man, absolutely. If I could just give one more resource as an, as a, as an option, this book on fasting by Scott McKnight is wonderful, but Almost on the other side of the coin, a great book on feasting as this culmination of a fast is this book by Robert Capon. His last word is C, his last name is C-A-P-O-N, and it's called The Supper of the Lamb. And it's actually a culinary classic. He's, I believe he was an Episcopal priest, but also a chef. And so he shows in a, such a beautiful way theology in cutting an onion <laughs> or really? preparing a meal for a person. And I would suggest that as a recommended resource in, hey, you want to you wanna fast, you also want to break that fast as an act of worship before God. So I just wanted to throw that in there as, a, as another resource. I love it. That's great. And in an upcoming episode, I'm going to be interviewing Mike Neglia on the topic of gluttony because he listened to this episode and he was like, that reminds me of the other side of the coin uh, of gluttony. And I'd love to share about that. So that's a preview mm. for our listeners to stay tuned for. Awesome. I can't wait for that. That'd be great. Cool. Thanks, Connor. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. It was a pleasure. 